0: Amen. Amen. They told me this shirt was pollen resistant. <laughs> I get my money back. First Samuel chapter twenty four. Extraordinary restraint. Uh, that is the capital idea this evening for this chapter. Anyone weary of hearing about David running from Saul, being chased by Saul, imagine how David felt. When is this going to end? Anywhere from eight to ten years, it seems to be the case. Saul, of course, uh, not only was he the single source of David's misery, but he was also Samuel's unanswered prayer. Samuel would go to his grave, not seeing Saul come to his senses or David come to the throne. The lessons of restraint born from biblical conviction, which is important, it greatly improves the weapons of our warfare. To be able to restrain ourselves according to the scriptures, to know when to and when not to, that uh, perhaps... Most of you know the story already. Perhaps you're familiar when, when David cuts the robe of Saul and he feels this heavy conviction. Maybe in your life, God has told you to keep your mouth shut and don't lash out at somebody when they deserve it, and you have not, and you feel terrible. And so the lessons there are very helpful to us if we can retrieve them when we need them. Obedience, uh, it did not bring David an easy life. Not a magic wand. Ultimately, it brought him an extreme reward, and the scriptures very careful to point that out. Uh, reading in the 11th chapter, getting a little ahead of myself, I'll repeat this, the 11th chapter of First Kings, where it's really the end of Solomon's minist- uh, or reign ministry as king, and the historian is summarizing his ministry as a failure because of his idolatry that the women led him to permit, to tolerate, and to actually give honor to. And in that 11th chapter, 15 times is David's name mentioned in honor. He was not like David, who obeyed me and kept my statutes. It's repeated. He's a great man. And this, this chapter brings again this to the front. Restraint, in this case, was right, even though it was not popular. Another lesson for all of us from this 24th chapter. To be right at the cost of not being liked. Everybody wants to be liked. We learn in life that that doesn't come easily, and then we develop defenses. Fine if you don't like me. What do I care? I don't like you. (laughs) Strike back. Or with others, their heart just breaks. So, let's see if we can <clears throat> glean and receive from this chapter some meaningful information as Christians who are entrusted with loyalty and action. Verse 1, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. <laughs> He's back at it again. The Philistines, we've read that at the end of the last chapter, chapter 23, the last few verses, that the Philistines, Saul was getting, uh, cornering David and his men. And word came to him that the Philistines have invaded, and to uh, Saul's great disappointment and disgust, he had to abandon his pursuit of David and go deal with the Philistines. And he does that, and he is successful at driving them out. One of the lessons about that victory of Saul is that human success does not demonstrate that one is in alignment with God. A human can have successes in this life and be totally out of step with God. And that's just a side note from that experience. But the Philistines were measuring Saul. Uh, In the military, when you're at war, you throw out skirmishes, little battles to try to just see what the enemy's going to do. Feel them out a little bit before you really go at them. And I believe the Philistines were doing just that. They were invading the land, taking what they could take, but also monitoring Saul's response. And the conclusion will be, is we can take this guy, and then they're going to launch an invasion force and do just that. But that's not going to be for a while. Not too long, though. We're coming up on that. So this ally of Saul... Someone who is not interested in what god 's will is comes to Saul and says, "Hey, listen, Davidson and Getty go corner him there they 're just eager to rat David out he 's done them no harm and they 're looking to benefit from this. Maybe it was some tribal preferences they maybe they were Benjamites and they did not want the king to be from Judah. They wanted the Benjamite tribe to uh, retain the throne. Who cares whatever Samuel had anointed David. Word was finally out. No one really had an excuse to side against David. Verse 2, Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. They had to get a permit from the wild goats to... <laughs> so he's back to his favorite pastime. Hmm, what to do? What to Hunt David. And, and off he goes. And just a reminder from chapter 23, verse 14. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. I mean, he's just totally into killing David. So he has this commando regiment, 3,000 men. That's a modern military and infantry regiment. That's a substantial force. To give you an idea, when MacArthur was dealing with the Korean, the, the North Koreans invading South Korea, driving them out, he had three regiments. And so that's pretty sizable for us. Anyway, um, here, the, their commando regiment, because they're chosen. He'd he chosen men from all Israel, hand-picked men. This was a special assignment. He wanted the best, and he invested it all in, in just this foolish campaign. Many of the people were under the impression that David was disloyal to their king. Why were they of that impression? Because Saul told them, and they believed what they wanted to believe instead of looking at facts. It's not easy for some people to look at facts. They just believe what they're told, and, and that's the whole story. Uh, but there are others that they're not, you know, uh, well, let's, let's examine this and see if it can hold, uh, hold up to, the, to examination and facts. Verse 3, so he, let me pause there, reminder, Abigail, she looked at the facts. And so she, she knew where David was going. And I, we're going to skip chapters just to get to Abigail. Uh, anyway, verse 3. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Well, they probably saw the force of 3,000 men coming. And, well, look, if we make a run for it, they'll see us at a distance. We just duck into the cave, and that's where they do, or where they hide out. It's probably not all of David's men, but it's some of them. Their eyes are adjusting to the dark. They're going to have that head start on Saul. Saul, when he goes into the cave, his eyes are still uh, reacting to the sun. It says Saul went in to attend to his needs. This is a euphemism for... Well, possibly. It, the Hebrew literally, see he covered his feet, which is a euphemism for going to the bathroom. Um, the number would be not be one, it would be the number after one. And so, it, it shows up in Judges chapter 3 where Eglon goes into the bathroom and of course he's, he's killed and nobody wants to, you know, knock on the door and they're embarrassed. But anyway, you may know that story, Judges chapter 3. So, it's either Saul is using the cave for a restroom, or he's using it for a nap. Uh, there's grounds to believe both. More of the modern commentators like the idea that this is a euphemism for him to going to relieve himself. And, uh, you know, he would take off his robe and go to his destination, providing distance between David's men and him, and While Saul was there, David's men could talk to each other, whisper to each other, you know, kill him. No, not yet, kind of a thing. Or if he went to take a nap, which is also a possibility, leave his men outside to take a break. Well, I'm going to catch some Z's. Either way, take your pick. It's not that important. What is important is he's in the cave. He's vulnerable. David has the advantage. What's going to happen? Verse 4, then the men of David said to him, this is the day of which Yahweh said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. To which one of the men said, That's not what we had in mind. <laughs> not the robe, the neck. Cut the neck off from the shoulders, right? So, well, he wouldn't be head and shoulders above everybody after that. Kill Saul. That was their interpretation of this prophetic word to David. Now, these were the men that were in distress, that were in debt, that were not content. Uh, They're not the ones for David to listen to when it comes to discerning the mind of God. If anything, they need to listen to David. So they offered a convenient misapplication of this word of God. It was a logical solution. But was the timing and the will God's? Or was it theirs? Well, they're not sensitive to God's will. They're sensitive to being free from being hounded across the Judean wilderness. It took a heart after God to know the heart of God. And David, on this day, he gets it right. Uh, Obviously, looking at the moment, they would think, This is a gift from God. This is clearly God. Now is the time. And again, they were wrong. It was actually a temptation. This prophecy, incidentally, it's not recorded in the Bible. Where did it come from? Maybe Gad? Maybe Samuel? Uh, I think that it came from David. And I think it came from David in one of his Psalms. Psalm 54, which was written just before this, this event. And that's why they say this is the day of which the Lord said to you. Not to Gad, but to you. Psalm 54, verse 5. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. And of course, what did, what did they do around the, the, the campfires at night? I mean, they had remote controls, but they had no television to work them. And no batteries. All right. Anyway, what did they do? Well, David taught them so much through the scripture. He'd write psalms and he'd he'd sing sing it to them. You know, a lost part of our culture is folk songs. Uh, There was a time in history where everybody knew songs. Not, you know, we all knew the same songs. Not in our generation, but in time past. It's very difficult to do that now. If you have a men's study or a women's study, everybody you, you keep don't, we don't know the same songs, and so we can't sing together without lyrics, or you know, in print or on the screen. And it's too bad it's that way. I don't think there's a remedy. We tried to address it, but it's too difficult. Anyway, in those days, they would learn the songs. They all would know the songs, and I think that. This is part of their education. And they said, this is what you were singing about. God told you this was going to happen. Now, here is the day. But David was, it was not enough to have the letter. He needed the spirit. It was not enough to have the situation in front of him. What did God want to do with it? Now, sometimes it's obvious. And if you're in a building burning, you don't need to wait for a prophetic word to exit the building. Uh, But this wasn't a burning building. It says, and David arose here in verse 4, and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Now, Saul's not wearing the robe at the moment, um, unless he's really sound asleep, if you go with that option. But he is intending to prove to Saul, to reason with him from proof that he's not out to kill him. And once he shows him, hey, here's a piece of your robe, I could have killed you. Um, you would think that a reasonable person would say, good point, you're not my enemy, you're my friend. Uh, That won't happen, of course. Uh, Saul had no ability to reason long-term. You could reason with him in spurts, and that was it, which just demonstrated his instability, that his head was all messed up because his spirit was all messed up. A stark contrast between the two men, Saul's unreal, evil passion was to kill David, and he couldn't do it. He could not pull it off. He, he never got the shot. And even when he threw his spear, he couldn't get him. And I'd like to remind myself that, you know, David could have hurled that stone and taken David, Saul right out, just like he did the giant, and he did not. So David had experience at not killing Saul. David, on the other hand, in contrast to Saul's passions, he had a God-centered refusal to take a false opportunity to kill Saul. Saul's behavior was shameful. David's was honorable. This story exists for us to say, I want to be David in the story of my life when it comes to my behavior. Uh, Did uh, the Lord Jesus have this episode in mind when he said these words? But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I am working on this one. I have been work- It doesn't come easily. Sometimes it's like, well, look at that. I did it. I don't like, but I don't think I could do it again. Don't make me do it again. I don't want to do that again. I don't feel so fulfilled. I felt like I just barely crawled across the finish line. Uh, I think yes. I think that the Lord had much of the Old Testament uh, precedence when he said so many things, because he's the author and finisher of the faith. And he uh, certainly is witness to all these things. But David is living this out. David loves Saul. And that will, of course, he'll write about that after Saul's death. He will lament the death of Saul. It's not how he wanted it to turn out. Verse 5, now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. There he is, a man of conscience before God. Conscience is something that's inside of us, of course, that bothers us when we believe we have done something we should not have done. It says the light turns on that we are guilty. However, conscience needs instruction. You can have someone that feels guilty over something they should not feel guilty over. And, you know, the, the, if they, you, that's where certainly Christian fellowship helps, having friends help, knowing the Word of God, being in tune with God. There, there are several things that we need to advance nobly as Christians. But back to this David. His conscience before God said, You know, Saul is still God's anointed, and I have no right to violate him or his possessions. He did not get this in return. Saul's going to give away David's wife. That's how much of a lowlife Saul was. Every king, again, of the Jews, lived and ruled in the shadow of David's greatness, according to God. It was not just, you know, someone just, well, he was the, the, you know, he became one of our better kings. No, God, he, he stamped this on. David became God's standard, as I mentioned, 15 times in just chapter 11, which is just 43 verses, a third of the verses, mentioned David as this obedient servant. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 38, God speaking. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did. Then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house, as I built for David, and will give Israel to you. He said this to Jeroboam, through the prophet Ahijah, when God said, listen, Solomon This is his judgment. The kingdom is going to split and he sends this prophetic word. Jeroboam will be the first king of the northern tribes but yet he's under the standard of David. This is quite profound. And David here, this decision that he makes prolongs the hardship of the men he's with. They want relief too. As long as David is chased, they're, they're in jeopardy also. And so these men are saying, you can end this hardship by putting Saul's wasted life to an end right here. This has got to be God. David didn't have that conviction. And he was in the position to make that call. They were not. He was the leader. God put him there. They came to follow him. And so David's going to trouble their logic and challenge their sense of loyalty. How profound is that? How many troops in the Christian world, have their sense of logic challenged and their sense of loyalty challenged over something they didn't care for and end up playing right into Satan's hands. Uh, Jesus said it this way, swallowing camels and gagging on gnats, things that are little and small and permitted and really aren't that big, you, you choke on them. But the big things, you're fine with that. Well, may it not be a, so written about us. Well, if in their eyes he made a great mistake, the question is, what are they going to do? What would I do? What would I do if I was with David in the cave? My life's miserable because of this Saul. David can kill the guy, but David's not going to do it. It says something about this man again, that they restrained themselves for him. They probably could have said, you hold David back, and I'll kill Saul. There's no such conversation. The power of conviction versus unpopularity in leadership. Well, we see, parents, you know, parents tend to give in to children because they want, they want the kid to like them. You know, they, they can't say no. And you, they know, the parent knows, I shouldn't do this. And so we look at these lessons from the Scripture and we try to let it work on us. And we can't be perfect, but we certainly can be better off. We are tempted to make wrong decisions because we would rather be liked than be right. It's a choice. What do you want more? It depends on, sometimes, you know, that's usually, usually the best way to go is to be right and not popular. But there are exceptions. It's just not wise to enforce, enforce Uh, a certain correct attitude. You sort of have to choose your battles from time to time. Always we are, dependent on the Holy Spirit. But I do believe strongly, as a rule, it is better to be right than liked. And uh, David, to this day, finds loyalty. What I mean by that, any student of uh, Scripture coming across the life of David, you, you can't help but to love the man. Uh, if you let your biases uh, interfere with that, then you're not siding with Christ's opinion about about David. And the Lord would say, what are you talking about? I died for his sins too. You think you're above the man? No, we're not. Verse 6, and he said to, this, to his men, well, let me pause there. I'm going back to this view of David. Nathan the prophet will say to David, after David's big sin with Bathsheba, David will say, you gave the enemies of the Lord a chance to blaspheme. He did not say, you gave the people of the Lord a chance. Because the people of God were supposed to be merciful. And most of them were, not all of them. <laughs> so, but, and that's just an interesting thought I, I find as a Christian when I when I consider the failures of others and when I consider my own failures in life. Which the one or two are easy to remember. <laughs> well, you guys, you guys really have a lot to go with. Verse 6, and he said to his men, Yahweh forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the anointed of Yahweh, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of Yahweh. So there's David. His reason for restraint, this extraordinary restraint, is God. It's not David. He puts God ahead of himself and his men. And they're learning this. These guys in the cave are learning these lessons. They're going to, again, it's going to intensify later, but they'll recover and they will be loyal to him. He is so sensitive uh, to God. He is so in rhythm with God, more than he knows that's why he's belting out these psalms. He doesn't know they're going to be scripture. He's writing songs to, to the Lord, and that's God is saying, "I'll keep that. I have the copyright on that. A lot of royalties go to God on this. David, you get nothing. You until you get to heaven, you get a whole lot then. But uh, life was was often dull, but it needs to be developed, and that. Uh, Beneficial to us to see that David had a dull life many times, just sitting around waiting for Saul to attack him next. And yet he was being uh, shaped into the man of God that he would be, the king that he would be, that uh, again would be the standard for all the kings of Israel. He dies a godly man. Uh, he, he, you know, when he gets old, I love the story, he gets old, he throws everything into the building of the temple, though he'll never see it built. He just throws everything, writes psalms about it. He, he, he tells Solomon what to do, gives him all the resources, plans it out. Very exciting, he goes out. God does not, as Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 46 or 45, that God will not depart from you even in your old age. And there we see David at the end of his life still very excited And serving God. Here in verse 6 it says, To stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of God. He says, I'm not doing this. This, Saul wasted his anointing. David wasn't going to waste his. He wasn't going to start out the wrong way. What a stark contrast to Diotrephes in John 3, who went against the apostle John. What a stark contrast to those few... Corinthians who troubled Paul, who had the audacity to get up in Paul's face. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's, he doesn't speak the Greek the way it should be speaking. <laughs> he mispronounces Greek words. And Paul said, you wait till I get there. Uh, anyway, uh, David, David writes this in Psalm 105, and it's recorded also in First Chronicles 16. This is when David gets the... Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. You know, that was a big deal. A man died getting that Ark to Jerusalem. Uzzah. it. And anyway, David writes, Do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. This man could say it. If anybody in Israel could say this, it was David because he's doing it this day. And decades later, he writes that psalm. He's probably not even thinking about Saul. He's probably just focused on the Lord. Doom, he's quoting the, the Jews in Egypt, you know, the Pharaoh. He's talking about the Pharaoh not touching God's people. But he he bakes it into the psalm concerning the Ark of the Covenant. A man that danced with all of his might before that Ark of the Covenant. And uh, I remember years ago, I I know I've told this story to some. uh, I was in a sizable Christian bookstore in in Manhattan. And I'm with a friend, and we're looking at books. That's what you do in a bookstore. And uh, we hear this man from way across the room, a room bigger than this. uh, Touch not God's anointed, do thy prophets no harm, out loud. And my friend says, boy, he's got a preacher's voice. Well, what was happening is the man was stealing stuff. (laughs) And they were grabbing him to lead him out. (laughs) And then he quotes scripture to them with his pockets full of their books. Because that's what you do in a bookstore. You steal books. Anyway, if you're a felon, that, uh, so whenever I come to that verse, I always am mindful of that person, how he, he had such a, a, a ability to, to preach, at least in voice, but his heart was in the wrong place. Maybe he was getting a book on thou shalt not steal. <laughs> so this sensitivity of David, and, and we have, you know, we collect the story about him. This, this sensitivity in the spirit always caused him to see further than everybody around him. He was always able to see things they could not see. And he didn't even know it all the time. Like in this case in the cave. He just knew this was not what he was supposed to do. Beyond the surfaces and the forms of men, David could see God. And this is why we're spending so much time considering his life, chapter by chapter. God's work in him gave him this extraordinary ability. And and we just will take whatever of it we can get, because we know it's a benefit. To just get a little bit of what this man had is going to be a benefit. And we say that about Daniel and Joseph and other heroes of the faith, Abraham. Wherever Abraham went, you knew he was there because he left his altar behind. He left his, his testimony. I worship Yahweh. And I don't need this altar anymore because he's invisible. And the pagans will be scratching their heads over that. Well, he'll make mistakes. He will not always exercise extraordinary restraint, which still encourages us because neither do we. You can come to church and be nice to everybody. And then on the drive home, you're not so nice to the other drivers. You're probably Right. I mean, if they would just get out of the way, you wouldn't have to deal with all that. Verse 7. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. Again, you've got to put yourself in the place of those men. They wanted Saul dead. And for him to pull this off says a lot about all of them. He is the leader, not by threats or payments of land, not by, oh, pity me. Remember Saul? That Saul used all those things. He threatened people. He paid them land. And he, oh, no one cares for me. Sob story. Uh, David did none of that. He is moved by um, God. He is not moved off of his conviction by surrounding counsel. Which is, again, pretty intense to be able to tell everybody around you, no and not really uh, be bothered by what, you know, you want them to agree with you, but you're not, they don't have to for you to stand by your conviction. Uh, Anyway, the end does not justify the means. It's a basic lesson. Romans chapter 3, Paul reasoning says, and why not? Paul in Romans, you know, he likes that question-answer format. That's the style he he takes up in Romans. And he says, and why not? Let us do evil that good may come. If the end justifies, you know, let's just do whatever we want to do. As long as we think we can bring about our interpretation of what good is. He continues, Paul does, as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say. In other words, it were those saying that Christians do these evil things. You know, they drink blood and they eat flesh and that's why they meet at night. And he was saying these things. And Paul is saying, uh, you know, they say that, but they're wrong. And if a leader is trying to make any everyone happy, he's got to stand in the middle of the road to do that. And that's where you get run over. The leader does not belong in the middle of the road. But he can assign others <laughs> to be there because they're better equipped for that. Uh, it's hard to lead. It's hard to have a family and, be, uh, and, and lead them. But it's worth it. And it's done all the time, successfully. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way, oblivious to the near-death moment. Um, if they had disobeyed God, it would have been far worse for David and his crew. Verse 8. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around behind him, he said, (laughs) Well, I mean, you would love to see his face, because you know he just turned all sorts of pale colors after this. My Lord, the king, verse 8. And when Saul looked around behind him, David stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. A bold move by David. Saul could kill him still. The snake's head was still attached. Proverbs 28.1, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Well, David is lionized here because he's trusting God, not because he's trusting Saul. He knows, he knows God is with him. If, if If you've done things for God in your life, you know, you get these feelings, you know, and how the leading roles and you... You know, starved when he's not coming. Well, where is God? Last time he was right there telling me to do. Now, I can't find him. So he's going to appeal to the conscience of this demonically charged man, which is a deadly risk. Verse 9, And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Saul didn't need to listen to anybody. David, you, you're being kind. Uh... Saul hates you all by himself. If there was no one else on the planet but you and and Saul, he'd hate you. Uh, It was the voice of Saul in Saul's head. Saul was the other voice telling himself that David's going to do you harm just because the dynasty of Saul would not last. And uh, the, the voice, the same voice that said kill David is the same voice that said kill the priest, wipe out the village, Verse 10 Look, this day your eyes have seen that Yahweh delivered you today into my hand in, in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. <laughs> Saul said, to say, Who? Who was it? But my eye spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is Yahweh's anointed. He, he refers to Saul as Adonai in the Hebrew, master. And Yahweh, of course, as by covenant name, Yahweh, as we believe it was likely pronounced. Uh, David believed that a Lord allowed him a chance to do less than right or to do more than right. And David opted to do more than right. And that's what David is talking about. God deli- God put you in that cave and me too. And we could have taken you out. The Lord did this. He left it to me. Because God knew what David was going to do. And he knew that we'd be standing here discussing it 2,000, 3,000 years later. Verse 11, moreover, my father, see. Yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and you didn't and did not kill you, know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Saul is speechless. He's still getting over the part that he, just, he could have been killed in that cave. What a, a, a way to go. Especially if you believe the first option. <laughs> you know, who wants to be killed going potty? And so, <laughs> that's, his, that's he's thinking about this. David is holding up the garment, saying, "This proves that I was close enough, and you know it." Now, Saul, David is next going to take not in this chapter. <clears throat> Saul's water jug and spear, and still it just won't register with this guy. He's that far gone. Someone, can, a human being, can be irretrievable. Isaiah says this, Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness in the land of uprightness. He will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of Yahweh. Is that not Saul an ingrate? That's who Isaiah is talking about and that's who Saul is. To some people, you just can't show them kindness and expect them to appreciate it. They're still going to do you harm. That's why Jesus talked about turning the other cheek. Um, just you have people in life you know, when Solomon was confronted with the mother you know that rolled on the baby and that story in I believe First Kings 3 the one that says no cut the baby in half anyway even after she was awarded it would have been awarded the child she, no I just death is what she wanted that kind of person is irretrievable and here we see it in the life of Saul. And so if, if you are a person that likes to, you know, you, you, you're sensitive. You, you, when Someone does something nice, you, you appreciate it. Then you may struggle with understanding how there are other people who aren't like that. Because we tend to project. If, if I tell you good morning, I would expect you would tell me good morning. Not drop dead. <laughs> so, there's a difference. Uh, verse 12 Let Yahweh judge between you and me and let Yahweh avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. If you are wrong, Saul, and you keep this up, God's going to deal with you. God gave me a chance to take you out this time. He may give me another chance to do the same thing. But David's long shot hope is that Saul is going to finally come around. Of course, it's a waste. He says, but my hand shall not be against you. I did not put you on the throne. I'm not going to take you off the throne. What other proof do you need, Saul? Saul I'm not interested in proof. I just hate you. And I want to see you dead. Verse 13. As the proverb of the ancients says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. But my hand shall not be against you. If I were wicked, you'd be dead. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Jesus uses a similar proverb. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. And that sums it up. David is saying, if I were really wicked, you'd have the proof. But not in this life, <laughs> you'd be in Sheol. Uh, verse 14, after whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? David is drawing insignif- drawing attention to his own insignificance. Who am I? I mean, you're the king. I'm just a shepherd boy. I'm... I'm still your son-in-law. But uh, Saul knew David is destined for greatness. And he, he won't give in. Verse 15, Therefore, let Yahweh judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of your hand. Well, God is going to deliver him, but it's going to still be a while. David says, I'm going to trust God with this, but later he's as is the habit of humans, when we are under pressure, we are on that roller coaster. One minute we're up, the next minute we're down, one minute we have you know confidence, the next minute we can't find any confidence. And David is going to drift back into the flesh over this matter in the next chapter. I'll quote that before the evening's out, at least that's the plan. Verse 16. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept because he's a nut. Not because he's broken hearted or serious, because he's out of his mind. And uh, (laughs) this is shock and fear and confusion and guilt and hatred all rolled into this ball. And the story is to prove. You say, "Well, that's your opinion." You no, know, it's the story's evidence of the story. Because when we get to the next section, he's coming at him again. So all of his token apologies mean nothing. He could have been knifed to death, to death in a, in that cave, and it won't register. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. This illustrates his spiritual confusion. This is an emotional breakdown he's having in front of everybody. He's the king. And at the appearance of God's chosen vessel and the convictions, the proofs, the fears, all that, this is what you get. So, Saul has this sunshine moment, you would think. He's still a killer. And he's still a killer on the loose. He still has no pleasure in Yahweh. Just, you know, so we don't get silly about this. You know, if you had a ministry and you had to deal with hardened criminals and drug addicts, you would have to really sense, get sensed really fast and not start to, well, you know, you mentioned the code word Jesus, so he must be trustworthy. You'd have to be tough and deal with realities that uh, are you're presented with. And the realities with Saul is he's a killer on the loose. He has no pleasure in Yahweh. He's still not interested in the well-being of anybody else but himself. And he will use others for that purpose and he's still going to stalk David. These are the facts. Should anyone feel sorry for this man, ask yourself, if he was hunting your child to kill them, what would you think about him then? And so he knew, it. he's saying, he's admitting he knows the difference between right and wrong, and he still does wrong. Verse 17 And he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have awarded me with good, whereas I have awarded you with evil. They should have interrupted that with applause. Yeah, he's more righteous than you, Saul. It's reminiscent of Herod and his mixed feelings over John the Baptist, Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was just and a holy man, and still had him beheaded. This uh, is less of a confession. It is more of a regret. This is an inactive regret, incidentally. It's not only I regret, it's an inactive one in that he's not going to change anything. All the misery he's doling out in the past, he's going to continue to do it. It makes nothing better. He keeps everything rotten. This token apology. While he continues to ruin lives or attempt to There's no mention of his guilt before Yahweh because he's not interested in Yahweh. Uh, This makes for good preaching to unbelievers, a character like Saul. Okay, David, I, you know, maybe haven't exercised the best judgment, but I'm going to still have to come kill you later. That's what he's getting. This is an old Looney Tunes cartoon with the sheepdog and the wolf, and they punch a clock. And they chase each other all day. And at the end of the day, they punch out. Okay, see you tomorrow. <laughs> we'll do the same thing. First Samuel 26, next chapter. Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. So he's going to be right back at it. That's chapter 26. We're in chapter 24. Uh, verse 18. And you have shown this day how you have dealt with me for... When Yahweh delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. And yet, David, if I had a thousand years more in my, of life, and you too, I chase you every day of those thousand years. Verse 19, For if a man finds his enemy, he will let him get away safely. Therefore, may Yahweh reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. It's, Saul, who cares what you're saying? Nobody cares. <laughs> it's, it's It's junk. Coming out of the mouth of someone else would be nice. But from you, uh, no, it's not. Um, Hosea chapter 6, verse 4. May this never be said about us. For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud. And like the early dew, it goes away. That's Saul. Verse 20. And now... <clears throat> I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. You knew that earlier. That's why you've been trying to kill me. (laughs) It doesn't mean anything coming from you. Isaiah 49, verse 9, Woe to him who strives against his maker. You knew this was God's will. You're still trying to kill me. To know God's will and to oppose it is madness. So who cares what the madman has to say? short of genuine repentance, which this is not. There's no intention to correct his way. Verse 21, Therefore swear now to me by Yahweh that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. Well, the rule of the day, of course, was a king would eliminate any claimants to the throne. If somebody, you know, hey, I've got a bloodline to the throne, they would perceive as a threat. Solomon deals with this in the early days of his reign. Uh, Saul is asking for an exemption, an exemption that his descendants would not be on the anointed um, endangered anointed species list, or something like that. David had a similar covenant with Jonathan. Between David and Jonathan, Saul wants this. There's nothing in it for David. There's everything in it for Saul. It's typical of people like Saul. And so David does not seek an oath in return. Okay, I'll let your descendants live if. He doesn't bother. He, it would be pointless. Verse 22. So David swore to Saul. And Saul went home. And David will keep his oath. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Why? If, if Saul was truly repentant, just everybody go home together. They could talk about old times, family barbecues, reunions, but they can't. David's actions anticipate another round of attacks. That's why he's going to the stronghold where he can defend himself. And so Saul got something out of this, as I mentioned, David did not. And after this drama David sinks into a, another round of depression. Not heavy, but it's there. Verse, chapter 27 of 1 Samuel. Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. Man, you have to be down. Is he going to kill me? I know he's just going to get, I know what God said, but I'm just tired. I'm weary of all this. And God is, steps in and says, well, you can feel that way, but it's not going to happen. And I'm going to see to it that it does not happen. And so he's then going to slip back again to Achish, which is another bad mis- mistake. But that's, you know, that's, you can't beat up on David too much. So because of his convictions, once again, to close up this evening's consideration and showing extraordinary restraint, <clears throat> David and his men will still be fugitives. And as far as these men knew, Saul could live for another 30 years. This could be their condition state for for who knows how long, which again is a testimony to their loyalty to David. They remain loyal. Loyalty is more rare than maybe we are willing to admit because loyalty is not measured in days of peace and everything going your way and approving. Loyalty begins to count like temptation when it's under pressure. Let's pray.